Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, kids. Uh, welcome to the program. I was paying attention. Don't worry. They, they were all upset because I wasn't looking at the camera when we started, but I knew you were there. Thank you for being there, as you always have. Uh, my name is Rob. Uh, welcome to this little uh, this little uh, broadcast extravaganza that we do on uh, Mondays and Wednesdays here in the summer. We are or Mondays and Wednesdays, Mondays and Fridays. Uh, no Wednesday show. That was the note I wrote for myself. Make sure you remind everybody: no show on Wednesday. Uh, Monday and Friday, uh, we will return to three days a week uh, coming up in the fall, assuming there is a fall. And I have no reason not to believe there won't be a fall. But holy crap, uh, it's warm. Now, if you're if you're somebody who consumes these podcasts uh, non-linearly or whenever you want, um, me referencing the weather outside probably doesn't do you any good, really isn't a bonus, uh, but holy cow, is it warm. Um, glad you could join us, um, as always. Uh, this is a, um, a uh, inclusive program. Everybody's welcome here. Uh, we, we are allies indeed. Uh, we were broadcasting live from Treaty 7 Nation territory. Um, later on, uh, in about 10 minutes or so, uh, we're very excited that a newly minted Alberta Hockey Hall of Famer will join us on the program, Tim Hunter. Many reasons to get Tim on, and I have been looking for them, uh, or not looking for them. I've had them up my sleeve, but with the induction, it just seemed like uh, it was the right time to do this. So very excited Tim's going to join us. Uh, once again, do want to take this opportunity to thank Craig Conroy of the Calgary Flames, general manager of the Calgary Flames, for agreeing to sit down with us for nearly two hours on Friday. Um, I texted him. I said, thank you. Uh, you're an amazing guy. And he texted me back and he thanked me and he said, now everybody's expectation is that I do two hour interviews. So for that, I apologize to my media peer group who, um, you know, my guess is the next person that that gets to interview Craig, uh, you can get him for five minutes. That's it. That's all. <laughs> That's not actually accurate. Um, I know there's been a lot of feedback. Um, some of it you loved, some of it you didn't like, some of it. That's just why we do these. They're intended to create reaction. They're intended to create conversations. Um, it was a different conversation for me because he is my friend and has been for a long time. We tried where we could um, to go to the places that uh, needed to go to. 
Uh, I, I am not at all concerned about the style or the implications of the conversation. I enjoyed it thoroughly. It, it was, you know, I've done a couple here since I've come back that, um, Kelsey Snow, Craig Conroy, there's been a, a handful of them. Uh, even David Legs last Monday. We got to get into that at some point on this program. Uh, that one uh, on the Commonwealth Games had some legs afterwards. Um, just a couple of notes uh, for me. One, um, you know, we talked to Craig about, you know, I've been beating the drum for Carla McLeod. I think Carla McLeod's an excellent hockey coach and can be an excellent hockey coach in, for any team. Um, we had Carla on. Carla has not been talked to by men's team. And I think where we ended up with Craig, and, and I, I've said this all along, I think taking somebody and elevating them to the top spot to say that we have you know diversity, equity, inclusion is a mistake. I think where we need to focus our diversity, equity, and inclusion um, efforts are in grassroots and building it up from there. With that said, I'm very excited about what I saw today from um, actually my alumni. Uh, the first team that I ever called on television was the Fort McMurray Oil Barons of the uh, AJHL way back in the 90s. And uh, they today, again, not the the first to do it, but today uh, Fort McMurray announcing uh, that they have hired Sarah Diamond as an assistant coach. This is, this is how we truly get diversity, inclusion, and equity. Um, you know, I, I made a big deal a couple weeks ago about Harner Ryan Singh passing the torch on uh, the Stamps report and the Flames report that he was doing for CSEC. And, and uh, um, that's important. Like, it was great that he did it, but we need to get more diverse um, new voices out there. Um, I have long maintained that the, the most important person in sport in Calgary is Sandra Persina. That Sandra Persina has been getting the seat time, developing as a play-by-play -play and as a broadcaster um, the same way that I did and um, was not being rushed or elevated because of, you know, gender needs or anything like that. Um, you know, the, a, a friend of mine, uh, Valvinder, uh, uh, Valve won the, um, uh, the, exec, uh, the uh, Executive Director's Award for Hockey Calgary. He's the president of, of Simons Valley. Um, we need more diversity in the lower levels of sport that push up. So when I see Sarah Diamond getting a job in the AJHL, this is perfect. The next step is, is a female coach in the Western League, head coach. Um, nice that there were assistant coaches, and we have you know a few of those peppered through the American Hockey League, but um, we continue. Anyway, uh, one of the conversations that we had with Craig was on that topic. Um, I gather, because I'm busy doing the program, I guess, um, so I have the boys, Jack and RJ, monitor the comments. I gather the point when I asked Craig if um, he was allowed to say the word rebuild uh, did resonate with some. Um, and again, I'm just, I'm hoping you're, you know, if you're a rebuild person, if you're, you know, you're adamant about a rebuild, then I, I asked the question and you got the answer and you can take it and process it the way you want. Um, I find the rebuild I would love to do an entire show around rebuilds and not, and not whether they're right, wrong, or indifferent, but around them, because I think they've become a crutch. I think when we don't like what we want, we want a rebuild. I think Calgary, and I've said this before on the old program, I said it on this program, I think the one, all of, all of our cities, sports cities, their subcultures, there's certain aspects of them. And since I got here, 
uh, back in 2003. I've been here for 20 years working in this market. There is something about Calgary that our first inclination is to fire a coach. First inclination. You know, up until 2008 when Huffnagel came in, there was you know a lot of turnover with the Stamps. Uh, goes without saying that there's been a ton of turnover with uh, the Calgary Flames. Um, you know, we've seen it with other teams. Um, but I, I, I just think the subculture of city is that was the de facto drop back position for some, for some. Anyway, I'd love to do a show on rebuilds, but I don't think it would be well received. I really don't. I think um, there's a certain segment of the population that um, has very little interest in the results of the games, is more interested in what could happen, what might happen, what should happen. And that's as valuable and as warranted and has credence like any other kind of fandom does. Blind faith fandom where doesn't matter this was the best six nothing loss the team's ever had that has value too I have no problems with that but um, I'm not I just don't know if um, a whole show on rebuild would would accomplish much on the word rebuild or on the term rebuild um the againless stuff was you know I, I think uh, we went through that whole old boys club and uh, you know, we saw it in Edmonton with McTavish and Kevin Lowe, and they brought in Gretzky, and they brought it, and it was real easy to throw rocks and stones from afar and say, "Oh, it's the old boys' club." And there was all there's been criticism here. You know, um, Lanny McDonald, you know, I think twenty years ago or so would have loved to have gotten involved with the organization. The organization didn't choose to go that way, but I think there's people. You know, and, and Lanny's got a great relationship that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the management side of things. Um, this organization has, you know, not necessarily had that at times, has had that at times with the Sutters, and now has this version of the Red Mile old boys club, if you will. Um, but the stuff about Aginla and his enthusiasm and his engagement, I thought, was was really interesting, too. So um, if you haven't seen it, it's worthwhile checking it out. Proud of it. Glad we did it. Hope to do more like it. Uh, that's that's what we always want to do. A um, couple things before we get going here. Uh, Dallas re-signing Jim Nill, their general manager, two-year extension. Of course, he was your GM of the year. I bring this up only because it allows me to uh, mention my good friend, Perry Berizan, hockey legend, and the great story that he tells about breaking Jim Nill's jaw. So we'll have to get Perry back on. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe he did tell the story when Perry was on show number two with us. Um, but it's one of my favorite hockey stories of all time. So I, I really look forward to that. Uh, but anyway, Jim Neal getting a, a two-year extension. Tough loss last night for the Stab Peters. I don't know if you've checked out live from the 55 with Danny Austin. You should. Um, great breakdown of the week that was in the CFL. Great breakdown of what it was a, an exciting game, but a loss. Uh, the Stamps fall to two and four on the season. I, uh, you know, struggling a little bit at home. Um, Ottawa now with back-to-back overtime wins against Winnipeg and now Calgary. Uh, there were things to be uh, excited about, I think, from an offensive standpoint. Um, certainly, you know, the go-ahead touchdown late in the fourth quarter was a great play. Well, I don't know how you're that wide open, but you are. Um but if I were to go out on a limb, I would suggest to you that Dave Dickinson probably none too happy with his defense right now, uh, which has usually been a hallmark and a calling card. Um, 
And, and that's why I mentioned live from the 55. I'm not going to break it down as well as Danny can. Nobody can. But I think if you talk to those around the Stampeders, uh, the expectation was, you know, they, they jettisoned some veterans, some, you know, and some accomplished veterans on the defensive side. They're going to be a bit younger, but um, that game, that game was a good old fashioned CFL uh, blowout last night. A um, couple other local stories. Uh, one, the, how about the cavalry? How about our pal Marco Carducci? And how about our pal, the, um, uh, the gaffer, uh, Tommy Wielden Jr.? 5-1 over Vancouver FC. Not Pacific, but Vancouver FC. Uh, cavalry now sit atop the table. They sit atop the table uh, with 27 points. Um, they are going in the right direction at the right time. Uh, Pacific is going in the opposite direction uh, in the wrong time. Um, but, you know, for a club that struggled to get its first win, didn't lose, but struggled to get its first win out of the gate, the Cavalry have really found their form. And speaking of biases, of which I have a huge bias, who had a better weekend um, than the Calgary Surge? Nobody. Uh, on the court, off the court, two wins at home. They clinched a playoff spot in their inaugural season. Now it's a matter of whether or not they're going to get a playoff play-in game. Uh, which would be really exciting. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the show, but a, a really, really big weekend uh, for Calgary sports. Uh, for the most part, it broke the way that you'd hope, uh, not so much on the CFL side. RJ, our guest is here. Perfect. Uh, let's do that. Let's not make him wait any longer. Of course, our guests are brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com, 76 years, 76 years in Calgary. You what you would say born and raised in Calgary, which is something we will say about our next guest. Four locations when it comes to ski board and, and skiing season. None right now. They're all closed right now, but they'll open here very, very soon. But you can always shop online, skisellersnowboard.com. Uh, very pleased to have join us here on the little podcast today, a man who had his name called uh, last weekend in Canmore at the Alberta Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, you cannot take that away from anybody. Hall of Famer, it's got a nice ring to it. Tim Hunter's kind enough to join us today. Tim, how are you, sir? Rob, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm excellent. Favorite question, how'd you find out? How did you find out you were being inducted into the Alberta Hockey Hall of Fame? Yeah, it's interesting. Peter Marr called me, and I was like, Peter Marr is calling me. It's really interesting. And we were just doing small talk and talking about the weather, and I was down in in Mesa, Arizona, where we spend the winter. And uh, I was saying, geez, Pete, uh, I'm sorry, but it's like uh, 70 degrees Fahrenheit here, and I know it's 30 below in Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, you cut right to it, and uh, it was pretty exciting, a very very uh, honored to get that call and you know I knew since last November and they finally broke it in March and you know it was just a, a fun winner to be able to have that in my back pocket all winter knowing that I was going to go into the Alberta Hockey Hall of Fame uh, this July so it's very special. Tim is I mean it's 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 kind of like the old Monty Python sketch. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition, but were you expecting a call? I mean, it, it was a Hall of Fame call ever something that you were, you know, wondering about in the back of your mind? Oh no, not <laughs> no, not at all. I, you know, um, I did. You know, it's it's interesting when you spend your career playing as a you know a basically a fourth line guy a leader a, a grinder a, a journeyman 
um, you know, and being able to extend my career in, in those capacities and other locations was great. And then to go on and, and to be able to turn that hockey career into a coaching career and mm. have such a, a long coaching career. And um, um, it was very enjoyable. Uh, and I talked to Craig McTavish at the uh, Hall of Fame induction. He said, you know, Hunts, it's about time the more you guys, the blue collar types, get the, the recognition you deserve because the work you guys do, um, it never goes unnoticed to the players, but a lot of times it does to the fans and the media. I love that for so many reasons. Um, but there's another guy, right, that was, you know, a, an excellent penalty killer, shot blocker. You know, it comes from him from a level of credibility, but it's also something, don't you feel, that has really been a hallmark of the Flames alumni in many ways too, Tim. You know, I, I think back to the old SO three on three that Colin and Perry did, and they were always trying to make sure that, you know, the the glue guys got recognized, that that, that it was for everybody, not just the superstars. Yeah. And you know, I, I you know, I mentioned our Hall of Fame our uh, alumni at the Hall of Fame and and how Colin and Dana Merzin mm-hmm. and Jamie McCowan and Jim Poplinski, those guys all laid the foundation. Theo Fleury, they've been here all these years, and I'm just moving back to Calgary after not living here in 30 for 30 years. And the work those guys have done, and and yeah, they, they the fans in Calgary sure uh, embrace um, you know everybody, right from myself being <laughs> being the proverbial fourth line guy, and obviously you know our our alumni everyone asked me how does the alumni work you have 150 members you have nine guys from the stanley cup team live in calgary how does it work i said well there's lanny and then there's the rest of us (laughs) and you know lanny he gets out and pounds the pavement just like everybody else he does the grunt work you know making lunches filling filling bags and doing doing just the simplest tasks that that we do when we do some of these uh, uh, volunteer things and, and it's great. And, but you're right, you know, Colin Patterson, Joel Otto, Dana Merzen, they weren't mm. high profile guys, uh, you know, just, just putting their time. In. And then we have so many other alumni guys that don't get a lot of recognition, but they, they all, at some point you, you run into somebody among the 150 members that we have along the line at some event. And it's really cool that guys just take the call and, are willing to come out and help. And that's uh, a testament to what hockey players are all about. They understand that they wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for the fans. And it's sure nice to give back to the fans because the fans in Calgary certainly appreciate what we do in the community. When you're getting ready for last Sunday and you're collecting your thoughts, was it a difficult process? Was it difficult to synthesize your your career and, and, you know, and be on a stage at a, at a hall of fame event. And, you know, was that an easy thing, fun thing? How did you find that part of it? Well, it was interesting because they told, told us you only had five minutes to mm. make your speech and, and boy, that's uh, 40 years of NHL hockey playing and, and growing up, you know, grow, yeah. I grew up in Calgary. So, you know, from the time I was five, so 56, 57 years of, of help and, I was in Hawaii in early uh, April and talked to a, or late April, talked to a friend of mine. He's a very smart guy. He's written a lot of books. He's a, he's a uh, NBC uh, political analyst in, in San Francisco. And 
we were talking about my speech and he said, Tim, keep it simple. What is your, what is, what does it mean to you to go in the hall of fame? And I said, well, the help I've gotten, the, the community of people that I've, that I grew up with mm. helped me as a player, helped me in my coaching and, and then family, you know, my parents and then the, uh, my wife and my two daughters. Um, so it's, it's a sense of community that, you know, they, you talk about it takes a village to raise a child or a yep. community and a village to raise a, raise a child. But the same thing for a hockey player. And I had help right from the beginning, uh, right up through to uh, my first days with the, uh, with the flames. And, um, you know, if I didn't have some of the, some of the key people that were quality people in the right positions, you know, you, you just never know what happens, but it's somehow the luck just puts everything in, in place. And that's what I, that's what I spoke about in my speech was the, uh, the help I had along the way. So you said something that's really interesting. You're born in Calgary. Uh, you eventually play for your hometown team. But at the start of your NHL career, you were drafted by Atlanta. So you didn't know, or did you know at that time, it was a little early for them to be coming to Calgary, right? Correct. So I was in the 79 draft, the draft as an 18-year-old. So I played my, I signed the contract, went to Atlanta, went to training camp, signed a contract uh, after training camp, went back, finished my last year junior in, in Seattle. But Cliff Fletcher came and seen me play one time and he said that, the you're going to get a break because the NHL is expanding to 18 and two from 17 and two. So they're adding a, another roster spot. So um, that's going to help you. And they, they really felt, and I played my whole career as a defenseman. I was drafted as a defenseman, but they were starting to, to kind of give me the, the key words that I would probably play in the NHL as a forward. So mm -hmm. um, then I fast forward, I, after the season was over, my 19th year in Seattle, I went down to Atlanta to have knee surgery. And I was at David Poyle's after the knee surgery. And he said, yeah, I want you to come over um, for lunch. So I left the hospital, went to his place for lunch. And then I was going to stay in a hotel and then fly out the next day. And he said, uh, I just got off the phone when I arrived. And he said, come on, sit down. And he said, I just got off the phone. I have some great news for you. I said, oh, really? What's that? He said, the uh, Atlanta Flames have been sold to a group in Calgary and they're moving to Calgary. And I was at his house the day he got the call. It was like so surreal. I was, I said, wow. He says, Tim, you're going to have a chance to play for your hometown. And I, the furthest thing I thought, you know, Atlanta and Calgary, that's a long yes. way for my yes. parents, yeah. my parents or my friends or, and when we'll ever get into Alberta, you know, with Edmonton and Vancouver yeah. close by and, Oh, I was like, holy mackerel. And then to have that happen, wow. So, uh, so special. But as an eight, as an 18 or 19 year old, I mean, you know, I remember what it was like for me. I had a little bit of wanderlust. I mean, you know, looking back on it, it's a great thing, but at the time it's like, oh, I mean, was it ever like, oh, I would have liked to see what the South was like or. Yeah. Yes. And no, but I mean, no better place to feel comfortable than being at home True, and, and yeah. growing up in Calgary, yeah, yeah. have so many friends and being able to look out in the crowd. And, you know, I played those first games in the old corral and played a little while in the corral and then the saddle dome and then started to settle in. And I used to have this great routine before I 
the puck drop during the anthem if I wasn't starting, I would stand on the bench and I knew where all my, my parents and everybody was sitting in the crowd that I knew. Mm-hmm. Not many, but you know, and I would yep. kind of stand and look and they all I told them all that. So they all knew I was checking them out to see if they're in their seats and see, you know, just kind of a little nod and they they all knew. And they all were waiting for me to look around and, and turn to them when I when the before the puck dropped. And that kind of gave me comfort that sure, you know, my family, my friends were there to cheer me on. And and I was I felt comfortable with that. So I think it's it's the best thing. You know, I had a great childhood. I, I left when I was 15 to go and play in Fort St. John. So I didn't live in Calgary mm-hmm. from 15 till till 21 when I 22 when I came back to play for the Flames. So I had my time away to, to you know, wander around in Seattle and meet a bunch of uh, nice people and and Kim, my wife, and so yeah, I was I had my fill, I guess, if you call that wanting to, you know, sure. see, oh, no, see, that the, makes sense. see yeah. the world. Yeah. Um, and I, I just warn our listeners, we're our viewers, we're not doing this chronologically, but I will come back to your time with the Flames in the '80s. But at, when you retire, you you know, you you went to I believe Quebec and. Vancouver and San Jose, then you retire and then you get into coaching. Were you coming back to Calgary at all? Or because you said you just moved back to Calgary. Yeah. But- yeah. Good question. Well, um, all I've always lived in where I've worked. And when you have kids, mm-hmm. you know, once they get into school, you know, it's hard to pull them out. The hockey season ends in April. So September to April, pull them out and take them back to Calgary. And yeah. So we just lived where we worked. And, you know, once I left Calgary, I sold my place, went to Quebec, and that was kind of a short year. By February, I was in Vancouver, renting a place there. And then we moved to Bellingham, Washington, and just commuted across the border. And we bought a place there, and we lived there for about five years. Mm. And then uh, my last year, I played in San Jose, and we just rented there. And then um, right away, I got offers to coach both in San Jose and Washington. We chose Washington and I moved to Washington. We bought a house in Maryland, uh, Saberna Park, lived there for five years. Girls went to school. It was fantastic. And then the opportunity came to go to San Jose and my girls had had swam in San Jose. They swam at the famous Santa Clara Swim Club where Mark Spitz swam. And they were like so excited to go back to back to um, California, to the sun. So back to California, we went and six years there. And then when I went from San Jose to Toronto, we didn't, didn't, we just rented. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and then I had a house in Seattle I had for about 30 years and we moved into that in the summer and just kind of hung our hat there until, you know, uh, we, went back to Washington and then we, then we went to, to Moose Jaw. We lived in, I lived in Moose Jaw for six years. Yeah. It was actually one of the longest places I ever did outside of Calgary. So then when we were fired in Moose Jaw, we sold and we were looking to, I was looking to retire. I was turning 60 in September, 2020. And Calgary was just like the perfect fit from here. The flames alumni, the flames family, you know, and all that. And, and so many friends from, Growing up, you know, I just, it was, it's, and, but I do tell my friends, I moved back to Calgary for the summer, not the winter, <laughs> but I do, I, I'm here 
uh, once a month in the winter, I come back, you know, we don't leave till November. I'm back early April. So I, I get to see lots of hockey games and events that go on with the flames or the flames alumni. Uh, I come back and take part in those. And so at least see three or four games a month, um, if, if possible. So how's your hometown changed? I mean, you left at 15, you come back at, at you know, just North of 60. What, yeah, what's your observation of the city? You know, it's still it's still very friendly and people are outgoing. You can walk down the street and people have their heads up and they're smiling. They're looking in the eye. Uh, <laughs> the stampede is, is the real hallmark of Calgary. Uh, the whole city just comes totally open and welcoming mm. and at party and everyone has fun and, you know, the, the rodeo events and, uh, and, breakfast and it's just so cool to have i've had last three have friends come in for the stampede yeah. all three years and it's just fantastic and these people they're like they've heard of it and they see it and they're going omg this is amazing what a city and then i mean the growth obviously the growth is great um mm-hmm. you know the inner city part of calgary has grown so much and then the the border around calgary like calgary goes forever um, you know, Spruce Meadows used to be a long way out of town. It's in town now. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I grew up in Acadia and now that's inner city. <laughs> I live in, I live in over by the uh, Curry barracks here. Yep. Um, and that was, that was military housing and, and hangars and old buildings. And uh, now it's, it's all communities, parks, uh, restaurants. Atco has a big headquarters. It's, it's amazing the uh the growth but all cities are like that but uh, the real fabric of calgary is friendly people uh you know the fans the hockey fans are fantastic the you know going to the games the people are knowledgeable it's um so a lot of that hasn't changed since we're talking a little bit about real estate more to do with the place you play junior and you owned a home uh thoughts on seattle being in the nhl was that was that ever something that you'd ever thought about you know, as a junior player or even when you live there? I Well, I always thought it would be a great location because you have the natural rivalry with Vancouver so close. And I yeah. always thought Portland would get a team. And then California is not far away in Calgary, Edmonton. You know, everything's close. So, you know, that when I played there, we played in the old Seattle Center Arena and it was small, about 5,000. And then the, the, um, the um, Coliseum was there, but... You know, they had the Sonics and mm-hmm. the owner changed the outlay of the building. So it wasn't really hockey friendly. And we played, played some games in there and it was a yep. great building. It just wasn't quite big enough. And then when they, you know, there was a, there's a lot of hockey history in Seattle. You know, it goes back to the Seattle Totems, the Seattle Metropolitans, all way back. And yep. some of those old guys that I, you know, were instrumental in my junior don ward played from seattle and then you know guys like doug messier and mm-hmm. tommy mcvee playing in <laughs> portland and that league it was just an amazing hockey league when you're guy fielder and all these guys it's just incredible and you know the the seattle hockey was big and there's a lot of hockey fans and now the culture they're creating i have so many friends from that area especially bellingham and the young people have grasped on to the to the game. They just love it. Like road hockey is huge among young adults. Yep. These guys are out 
So I have a friend in Bellingham, and I used to – he'd bring his boy, Connor, to hockey games in Vancouver and Calgary and different places. And we, once in a while, we'd play exhibition game down in Seattle. And I was always getting him autograph sticks. And he had this big pile of autograph sticks from all these guys. And, you know, when I was with San Jose, if we were playing in Vancouver, they'd come up and watch the game. And Joe Thornton and Patty Marlowe. Mm-hmm. So he's got this big pile of hockey sticks. And he said – he said. Last winter, my son comes over and he goes, Dad, like, you know, he's in his mid-30s. And he said, Dad, like, uh, where's that uh, pile of hockey sticks that Tim gave me? All those autograph sticks. He goes, well, they're in the corner in the garage. He goes, oh, great. I'm going to get them. We're going to play road hockey. He goes, (laughs) you're going to take all those autograph sticks? He goes, yeah. They're just hanging out in the garage. We might as well use them. So he took them out. He handed them out to all his buddies. He had this big road hockey game on his street. 36, 35-year-old adults playing boys pickup hockey on the the street. So That's awesome. That's that's Seattle. It's a huge culture of young people that go to the games. They split tickets and – what a great way to promote the game. And, you know, you're always trying to, trying to cultivate new fans. And the best place to start is with young people. No, no kidding. Um, I'm jumping around, but you mentioned two names. You mentioned Doug Messier and Tommy McVie. And, you, I, I mean, I cannot say Tommy McVie without smiling. Um, I, I just don't know what it is about that man. And I don't I mean, I've talked to him, but I don't know him, but he just, he's an incredible guy. Can you just talk a little bit about some of those influences and some of those guys and the impression that they left upon you? Tommy was one of the biggest because he was, um, he was, he was old school, but he was, he was very um, positive and he was a real motivator. He, I tore my knee um, in February, my second year pro in Oklahoma city. And Tommy gave me the Gail Sayers book about his recovery from a knee injury and very motivational book. And Tommy talked about, you know, being positive and turning sour lemons into lemonade and all this stuff. And he would go around the room before and I'd get there early and be in the dressing room. And Tommy's laying out quotes on the guy's stalls. <laughs> and then at the end of the day, we're leaving and, Tommy comes in the locker room and guys have just left it or it's in the garbage. And I go, does, does that bother you, Tommy, that you, you know, you pan this stuff out and guys throw it. He goes, all I'm trying to do is get to one guy. Yeah. If I get to one guy, I've done my job. And he sure got to me because it was, uh, you know, and, and even years and years later if i run into tommy he has something to say about that time when i played for him in oklahoma city or you know somewhere along the line he saw me play a game in the nhl and he had always had a nice thing to say about me you know great listener and he a guy that really paid attention and it wasn't about him it was about you the young hockey player that tommy was trying to make better and help get a chance to play in the nhl and and very thankful for for guys like that because they they're the guys that make uh, you know they you don't make they don't make guys like that anymore you know no. Al Coates very similar and I talked about mm-hmm. Al Coates in my speech Al Al was a mentor before any coach or player teammate on the Flames Al was he just kind of him and Al McNeil had the best jobs in hockey. Al McNeil yeah. might have had a better job because Al would go on the road every two weeks, and you never knew where he went or what he did. 
So I always used to tease Al. I said, Al, when I retire, I want a job like yours because <laughs> you're involved in management. You, you, you and Cliff and Coatsy, you guys are all molding this team. I said, but you, you go on the road and no one knows where you go and or really what you do. And um, I want a job like that when I retire. And Coatsy was very similar. Coatsy mm-hmm. was in management. And Coatsy was around the team and traveled with us and was always around the team. And Coatsy – and today the teams don't have people like Al Coates where somebody that's really got the beat on the day-to-day of the team. And that's yeah. not just the players. It's the players and their families. Yeah. It's the trainers and their families and and the whole the whole thing. The coaches, the players, the trainers, that, that big group that travels together that is kind of – one big happy family, and it has to be if you want to be successful. And Coatsy had his finger on the pulse of that all the time. And he would just grab guys, buy, grab a guy, or grab you and say, Hey, Hans, you know, this and that. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to do this and point mm-hmm. you in the right direction. And be, you know, you might have been giving you a little kick in the rear end or just a pat in the back, but he was always encouraging. And there was a positive out of it when you, when you walked away from Coatsy. So, you know, I don't have a lot of guys like that in hockey today that are paying attention. You know, I see some of the some of the things that went on with the Flames last year, for instance. And, you know, I just, you know, there's a lot of guys around, but is somebody around all the time that's really paying attention to everything right. at all times? Because that's a tough job. And yeah. Al Coates, nobody did it better than Al Coates. And I mean, I can attest to that because it's in the last decade or so he's become a mentor for me, you know, on boards and I served on boards with him and I've gotten to know him and he's the same way today. I and mean, you can't, you can't take it away from him, right? That's his, that's his nature. That's what he does. Yeah, He's uh super detailed, um, you know, a guy that they had a skeletal cl- uh, crowd uh, office yeah. when they brought the yeah. team here from Boy, Atlanta, getting everything set up and getting the tickets and getting the, the off-ice officials, and getting everything in line to drop a puck for a hockey game. And so few people doing that. Like back in the day, June Yates, who was the mm-hmm. Cliff's secretary. And, man, the work that she did, and Brenda Koyich, who's still with the Flames. Um, She's the work retired. That, oh, she retired. Oh, geez. I just found that out. I couldn't believe it. Wow, I didn't know that. That must be just new. Mike Burke. Yeah. Yeah. Berkey, right. Yeah. Man. And the work those guys did and they still do it's it's, it's amazing it's amazing and yeah. you know good teams and uh they don't run without quality people and they sure had some quality people in those days a, a thought on chopper like oh. al mcneil is the best kept secret in all hockey as far he should be in the hall of fame too right yeah yes al same thing you know would come down to the bench and you know during before practice yeah i was always out there early you know First on, last off, and that came from guys like Tom McVie and John mm-hmm. Brophy, and you know, Hunt. there's another name. Wow, that ice is free. You never have to pay for that <laughs> ice. It's out there. Use it. Yeah. You know, if you want to improve your game, be first on, be last off. When the coaches leave, you know that's that's when you can have some fun mm-hmm. and work on things that or try things you've never tried before, and no one's out there watching. It doesn't matter. You're not, it's not about winning or losing. It's about you improving. But Al would come down and go say, okay, after practice, I'm come down and he, he would chat with me and show me a few things about, you know, he would see that it was getting slipping through the cracks that the coaches 
He wouldn't go down and tell the coaches, hey, you got to tell Hunts to do this and, you know, work on that. He would come down and he'd just point me, okay, you got to take yeah. pucks around the wall better. And you hear, fire, fire pucks around, get somebody to fire pucks around the boards to you. And he says, what you're doing is you're going, you're looking at the puck. You got to check to see if the, def- if you look at the defenseman first, then he knows that you know that you've paid attention where he's at. But if you go straight to the puck, he's going to pinch on you. You're never going to get that puck up. Little details. And that's what, you know, again, guys like Al, Mc- Al McNeil and Al Coates paid so much attention to. Um, and that's it's invaluable. Invaluable. Was he, and I don't, I don't know, maybe you weren't inclined, but the thing about Chopper that I've always appreciated is his connection to history. He, he, he knows Gordie Howe. He had Guy Lafleur. Like, it's incredible that he can sit there and tell you about the greats of the game from his own eyes. Like, it's, that's valuable. Yeah, no question. And just the stories on, on how those guys competed, yeah. how they competed, how hard and how tough they played. And, you know, you know, Al used to say, you know, Hunts, sticks are a lot cheaper than teeth, so carry your stick up, you know. <laughs> You know, some guy's trying to run you from next next week. You just let him know he's come through a Sherwood and might get a Sherwood tattoo in the forehead, you know, and stuff like that. It's just like, and yeah. you kind of get the green light, like, yeah, you got to play a little tougher and protect yourself. You tell Al McGinnis that or Flurry, you know, like, get your stick up. Some guy's trying to run you over and, you know, protect yourself. Little Gordy Howe elbow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it goes a long way and it, you know, if you think if you don't protect yourself, who's gonna? And that you know, you want to have a long career, you better protect yourself, or you're gonna get, you're gonna become a new rink board advertisement. So, Tim, those guys, did they inspire you to pursue coaching post career, or did they just bring it out and cultivate it in you? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm a, a little bit of both. Okay. Um, you know, I had a great roommate when I played for the Flames, Paul Baxter. Mm. Paul Baxter. Mm. He was a very, very smart guy, and he got into coaching. He coached in, in San Jose. I was had an offer to coach with Daryl Sutter, Paul Baxter, Roy Sommer, and I would have been the third assistant coach. And then in Washington, it was with Ron Wilson and Tim Army, and I was the second assistant coach. More money, more uh, responsibility. Yeah. But yeah. So Paul, you know, he was a great mentor for me because he's a little older, and he'd been around, he, and he was really tough, and he knew – how that tough part of the game worked and how to use it to your advantage and, you know, all these different things. So, um, you know, uh, being, being in that position and having someone to look, look out for you. And, and Paul always, always, uh, you know, we were um, roommates. We did all kinds of different things. He said, you know, Tim, he said, a lot of hockey players are like sheep. They just follow each other around. They all buy the same colored car. They all live in the same neighborhood. They all wear the same suits. They all go to the same tailor. He said, be Tim Hunter. Be, you want to do something different, do something different. And, yeah. and don't just follow along. Be a leader. And I've always been that way. I've, I've done things that, you know, not many hockey players do. You know, and they just they like to golf and they like to play hockey. And, and you know, that's, you know, I did all kinds of things. I had a pilot. I have a pilot's license. I'm a fly fisherman. I go salmon fishing. You know, I do all kinds of different things that uh, not many hockey yep. players do. And uh, that's because I, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a follower. What was the transition to coaching like for you? 
did you know was it a, did you hook into it right away it was great because um you know you're three feet from the action mm-hmm. you're 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 have a little bit of a input in on the results but you're dur- you're out there you're in the fight with the players you're behind the bench you're right right there I might have had too much to say early in my career because I was, you know, some of the players, they weren't like, I was always vocal on the bench. You know, somebody was saying something to the bench. I'd tell them to go, go warm the bus up and, and beat it. And, you know, I had, you know, and I, I, you know, could stand up for what I said. When you're a coach, you're not accountable for what you say. But uh, I think, I think I had a little bit of right to say, say things because I lived it and, and, uh, Sometimes our players win, but I coaching is, is uh, the, the most rewarding thing is the exact same thing that happened to me is having an effect on young players, mm-hmm. you know, young players in Washington, Sergey Gonshar, Brandon Witt, um, all these young guys, Jan Bullis, Richard Zednick, um, Steve Conowalchuk, so much fun having an impact on the young players, the prospects coming in, um, being able to go in the summer and spend time with them at the gym and yep. do all the testing with them. And then, you know, even, even, even later uh, going to San Jose and being around um, the development uh, of there, they had one of the best development models in all of hockey. Mm-hmm. Tim Burke is just a genius when it comes to breaking down how to shoot a puck, how to take a puck around the boards, how to protect the puck, how to, cycle all these different things we we had we had manuals that we used to present to the kids we'd get them up and make them present to us and see what they learned and it was it was fantastic joe pavelski was what a what a pupil at 18 years old 19 years old joe was to to learn and 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 teach and and watch he was just a rink rat he he had a little device that he had made himself to help give himself passes so he could one time the puck. It was, it was amazing. He, he dreamt it up and, and brought it out in the ice and he was showing us. I go, man, that's amazing. Just a, a young guy that wants to get better tipping the pucks. Like it was crazy. How, like you saw what he did in, with Dallas in the playoffs at 38, right? At 38, this is 20 years ago yeah. that I had my, my hands uh, on him as a, as a prospect and being able to help him uh, so it was great. So, you know, all those things, you know, the, the young people, um, you have an effect on their lives and, you know, and then later on in my coaching career to go to Moose Jaw and be mm-hmm. around some great young individual hockey players like Graydon Point, Tanner Janot, <laughs> Dryden Hunt, uh, these yeah. guys just, uh, they're the sponges. Brett Howden, uh, who, you know, just had a Stanley Cup at his house on Saturday night here in, in Oak Bank, Manitoba. Ron Wilson, tell me a little bit the, about the relationship, what, what he may, means to you, what he meant to you, and, and working with him. Well, I, probably one of the longest-serving assistant coaches for one guy, 15 mm-hmm. years I coached with Ron, 14 seasons. The one season we had in, in San Jose was a lockout year. We yeah. didn't coach, but um, Ron was fantastic. Ron's a little different culture because Ron's an American. He's in the USA Hockey and all that, and uh, but um, Ron grew up in a real hockey family. Like his dad um, and his uncle both played. His uncle Johnny um, played in Detroit. His, his dad Larry played a little bit in Detroit and then played in Chicago and then got the proverbial send down to Buffalo 
for two weeks and he spent 13 straight years there. <laughs> but uh, um, Ron, like we'd go into Detroit and we'd go to the old Lindell AC. It was an old bar that served, you know, egg salad sandwiches and hot dogs and lots of beer. And we'd sit around with Ted Lindsay and Gordy Howe and Johnny Wilson and, and Alex Del Vecchio. And, and I'd just sit at the table and, listen to the stories wow. about them riding the bus and the coaches and different things. It was just unbelievable. We'd go before the game, Johnny would come in and maybe some of the alumni guys, Mickey Redmond, Gordy, Gordy Howe would stop in and say hello to Ron because Ron was just a kid coming in the dressing room, getting a Pepsi or something uh, <laughs> or a Coke back in the day uh, at the old uh, Olympia. And, you know, so it was, was pretty cool. And, yeah. but the special thing about Ron was Ron, Ron said to me one day, he said, Tim, don't coach the way you, way you, way other coaches coach, or you've been coached, coach the way you think you should coach. So develop a style of what you think you should do. And he said, think of it in this terms. I want you to be an entrepreneur in your own position. Mm -hmm. He said, in my in my time in the NHL, um, starting in Vancouver, I was a player, and then Burke and Pat Quinn put Ron into uh, Milwaukee as an assistant coach, and later on he came to... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Vancouver. And then I, I played for Ron when he was assistant coach in Vancouver with Pat and Stan Smeal and Glenn Hanlon and um, Ron Smith. And, um, you know, the video was really starting to, to really become a big thing. You know, obviously Roger Nielsen was doing, but more more in depth than what Roger was doing. And, and by the time we got to Washington, we were, we were digitizing um, game tape onto um, computers, mm -hmm. CDs to players. And we had towers with games on, we could plug in and put the game on a laptop. And so we we're the first guys to do that. We had a bench monitor in, in Washington. And the first time, you know, we had video on the bench we were able to show the video to the power play guys. We, we used it in a positive way. Like Adam Oates 
say, well, when I fake here and go there, where does he put his stick? That's all I want to know. So I could get a seam across to Peter Bondra. Yep. So Ron, Ron, Ron's biggest thing was innovation. He said, you, you, you got to be an entrepreneur in your own position and you got to innovate. I don't want drills from two years ago. I want new drills and mm-hmm. I want new things. I want new ideas. So we, we, you know, we came up with, we, we brainstormed with a pinnacle, which is XOs now, a guy called Doug Cole to develop the, the right keys and everything to log the games and then how to, what interface to have it with. And then this bench monitor and all these other things just kept developing as we went from, went through with Washington. And then when we took it to San Jose, um, we started taking it to another level with yeah. smart boards in the dressing room and everything. But that was Ron's, that was the fun part of working with Ron Wilson. It was, we did a lot of new things. We did a lot of new things with the players, like off ice things, taking them curling and doing all these different things mm-hmm. for team building and, and what have you. And, you know, some of it was a little bit old school, but new approaches to the game and, and tried to keep, try to keep the game uh, fun and, and exciting for the players. Ron, today the players have mandatory days off. Yeah. Well, that comes from Ron Wilson. And it actually comes from his dad, Larry. So Larry started coaching. He was coaching the minors and he would print, he would have a calendar for the whole month and it would have practice times and day off days off. And this is back in the, in the sixties and seventies. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the families, these guys are in the minors. They don't make a lot of money. They, you know, the wives, they got kids family time is really important. So they would know they'd play Friday, Saturday, Sunday was off. Right. And then you practice Monday or, or Monday or they played Saturday, Sunday, and Monday was off. They, and he would never take it away from them. they lose or they acted yep. up. You always had a day off. So when yep. we, I started coaching with Ron, we would do that. The NHL, we'd give the players a monthly calendar. Here's what we're flying here is where we're, we're and printed out and we'd give it to them. And the players, they were like, wow, we get a day off. Like these are three days off this month. There's four days off this month. They were, they couldn't believe it, Yeah, but they loved it. And, and it was, now it's mandatory because the players just saw the value in that. Sure. And and the value in, you know, you know, back in the day, the, the, the teams and, and the management, they took advantage of the players because the players had no rights. They had no leverage. They had no, they didn't have a union like they have now or a mm-hmm. players association. So um, it's, it's kind of cool, but Ron was a real innovator and, and I was able to help with a lot of the stuff that uh, he innovated or we innovated Tim army, the same Tim, yeah. Tim is an, incredible um coach he coached in minnesota's uh organization for the last while in iowa and i think he just he just uh got a new coach there tim, i'm not sure what tim's what so much fun coaching with those two guys and then we went to san jose and we had rob zettler we joined rob zettler and rob's now in in tampa he's won a, a cup down there in tampa coaching the d and um but ron uh you know, Ron had a stroke here a few years ago, and uh, he's doing okay, but he, he can't function the way he used to, can't golf the mm-hmm. way he used to and all that. So, um, But uh, 
the opportunity that he gave me first time coach and let me, you know, I, I played my whole career as a forward. I was drafted as a defenseman. And then I coached the defense in Washington for five years. Right. And, um, you know, uh, great respect with all those guys. It was easy to coach a veteran team of Mark Genardi, Sylvain Cote, uh, Kelly Johansson, Joe Rieke. Um, and we had Don Shar and, and Witt in there as young guys and Phil Housley. Uh, my first year in the NHL as a coach, I went to the Stanley Cup Finals. We lost to Detroit. I thought, oh, this is this is great, man. Like this. It's like when you're a player, you go sure. early in your career, you think, oh, it's going to happen all the time. <laughs> what you mentioned that the connection, like you guys were together a long time. Did you have the opportunity to 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 interview for your own head coaching I, gig? Was I, I did, yeah, I did, and um, but I wasn't. Yeah, I think my term for it was there was always these guys, there were climbers. There was always, they're always looking oh, yeah. for the next best job and the next best thing. And I really, really enjoyed being an assistant coach for Ron because he gave me so much, so much responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, in Washington, I coached the D and I coached the penalty killing. And then, and by the time I went to San Jose, I coached the, the coach, the forwards in San Jose because we gave Zets the D because he was a defenseman. I coached the forwards and I ran the power play and the penalty killing. I did all the meetings, all the video. And like I never, never slept because I worked so much, but it was amazing. And then we went to Toronto. We moved the, the uh, things around, but I still ran all the meetings and ran uh, one year, I ran the power play. Next, ran the penalty killing. Then I ran the power play again. So it was, it was fun because he, was, he gave me so much responsibility. And, right. you know, we, were, we laughed. Uh, Zets and I laughed. The year we... We lost out in the conference finals in San Jose. We had the lowest goals against, best power play, best penalty killing, and we lost in conference final. And what does that get you? Doesn't get you a return to to San Jose. We we they didn't renew us, so we went to Toronto after that. But uh, yeah. we had, but Toronto uh, San Jose was under different ownership at that time, and it was a little bit different um, mm-hmm. when I went to San Jose. They had no, no digital video. They had a VHS, VHS to VHS, so a double VHS machine and a little TV. And we had just come from digital video with yep. smart boards in Washington. We're kind of going, oh, this is a little antiquated. And they didn't have a video coach. So we, we, I had to do all the video stuff myself. Um, and it was so, they, at that time, San Jose Sharks were the only team in the NHL that didn't have a video coach. But in Silicon had, Valley. <laughs> in Silicon Valley. I said to, I said to the, one of the um, people in management, I said, uh, you know, this building is called the HP Pavilion. <laughs> you think we can get some HP computers? And uh, he said, yeah, I think that's possible. I said, well, that'd be, that'd be a good idea because we could use some. And we, we slowly got, got them up to, up to speed. And uh, by the time we left, it was state of the art, uh, and I trained a young guy. He's the video coach for Colorado now. Mm-hmm. And he stayed with, after we left San Jose, he stayed with Todd McClellan. And then after Todd left, they fired him. And then I got help get him a job in, in Colorado. And they just won the, the Stanley Cup uh, a year ago in, in yeah. um, Colorado. So pretty cool for, 
for a young guy who was 19 and then at 38, he finally wins this Stanley Cup. Oh, that is awesome. <laughs> Let me ask you a couple of uh, questions about your experience in San Jose and then Toronto, but what was 2004 like? What was the Western Conference final like, the Red Mile version from your standpoint, coming home, you know, your hometown in that environment? It was amazing. Like, I was just like, wow, what a job. You know, I know the Flames had been in trouble and they had to revive the Flames and all these Flames ambassadors and all this stuff. And I was like, oh boy, what a, what a scene that, that all the red sweaters in the building. And yeah, it was fantastic. It was, uh, it was really something. It was really special to see. I was really glad to see it. It was, uh, it was fun to, to play in, uh, play in the, in the Saddle Dome. Toronto. A lot of opinions on Toronto. Uh, you coached there. You were there. What was your experience like in the Maple Leafs? Well, it's really, um, it's really amazing to, you know, I grew up in the 60s in Calgary and we got the Maple Leaf games and mm-hmm. Saturday night hockey night. So we watched the Maple Leafs a lot and, you know, had great teams and, you know, six and seven years old, they're winning their last Stanley Cups. And, um, and it was very, I was very proud to be able to, to wear a Maple Leaf logo on my tracksuit. And I remember Brian Burke first came from, from Anaheim and um, he came in and he's going to work out and he pulling on his first time pulling on a leaf track, a pair of shorts and a leaf shirt to go and ride the bike. And I said, it look, feels pretty special having that logo on you. Doesn't it Burke? And he goes, you know, it sure does. And, and he says, I've never thought about it that way. He says, but it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, we're not players, but we're, yep. we're working for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And that's uh, such a storied franchise. And, and I remember asking Keith Acton was there and I asked Woody, I said, Woody, I said, so what's it like? Like, what are the, what's the media and the fans like? And he said, well, let me explain it to you this way. So wherever you live, you're going to have your favorite place. You're going to stop in and get your coffee in the morning and, donut or whatever you do muffin and then you're gonna go down to the rink and so you're gonna and if things are going okay you know it's gonna be fine he says the moment the team starts to flounder you're going into your get your coffee you're gonna get the spanish inquisition on okay (laughs) what's wrong with the team what's wrong with tosco what's this why doesn't burke why doesn't cliff why did what's wilson doing and it was exactly like that (laughs) i went i went one time to get it and it was we are a month into the season. I went to get a haircut just outside of the Air Canada under the minus 15 where you, the underground mall. So I go in there and there's this guy, Luigi's hair barber. And I, he's standing outside and he recognized me. He goes, oh, Mr. Hunter, can I help you? I said, yeah, I just want a haircut. He all goes, go in the back and see so-and-so. And okay. I go back in the chair. How can I do it? tell him what I want. I'm not sitting there three or four minutes. He starts asking me what's wrong with the power play and what's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? I'm like, I said, I said, excuse me. I came here for a haircut, not for you to grill me on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Can you give me a little bit of respect? I I just want to relax and get a haircut. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm leaving and Luigi says, "So, so, uh, what, how was that? It was good. Do you enjoy? I said, no, I said, I'll never be back. I said, I come here for a haircut. I got this, I got the, the, I, 
it was like bombarded with leaf questions on what was wrong with the team, not anything positive. It was all negative. I said, so I'm not coming back. You go, oh, sorry. I was like, wow. It's, it's can be overwhelming. And sure. you stand, you watch the players and they're not standing in front of two or three TV cameras. There's 15 TV cameras. Yep. There's 30 people in front of you and you're pinned against the wall or in your locker. And it's like, and you're, you know, and I, I remember Ron um, was coaching the Olympics mm-hmm. and um, Vancouver and I, and so Rob and I were running the team and Woody. And so I was acting kind of head coach and I was doing all the media stuff. I was like, OMG, looking out <laughs> and looking at this crowd of um, media personality and some guys that, you know, there's lots of guys that you really respect. They've been in it a long time. And there's a few guys in that crowd that you're kind of going, really? I have to deal with you again? <laughs> you know, some of these guys that were in Calgary back in the day and now they're in Toronto. Oh, I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was something. And I think that a lot of the players, it, it grates on them. The yep. pressure like we had lots of pressure in Calgary to win, you know, everyone a game day against the Oilers who like, uh, you know, uh, big game Oilers, you know, it's going to be, you know, we're looking forward to it and, you know, this and that. So everywhere you went, at least the three or four days of the day of the game, the day before an Oiler game, mm-hmm. it was like people were just bombarding you, but it was, it was good stuff. And even if you lost, People were happy because there was probably two or three fights and something. The game took about 25 percent longer than it should yeah, have because yeah, all yeah. the other shenan- shenanigans that went sure. on with it. So people were generally happy. Yeah. But in Toronto, it's it's uh, it's it grates on on those players and the coaches and the, mm-hmm. you know you're you can't get away from it. You can't get away from the history. They haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1967. And, you know, everyone has an opinion. No matter where you go in hockey as a coach or a player, the community has opinion. You're going to run into people's opinion. But I think it's overwhelming there. I think that's a very, very big problem for people to function and do their job there. You go, you in, in 2014, you end up in Moose Jaw. You, you were last in, in Washington, but you end up in Moose Jaw. By design... Did it work out that way? I mean, you wouldn't be the first uh, NHL coach. I mean, Rico did it. Uh, John Paddock has done it. Um, was yeah. that a plan? Yes. I wanted to get. I wanted to have one shot at maybe being a head coach in the NHL, and and I thought I had no – because every time I interviewed, I had no head coaching experience. Gotcha. No head, you don't have yeah. any head coaching experience. You don't have, so I thought, well, I'm going to get some head coaching experience. And I thought – and I said, you know, I'm – 54 mm-hmm. i'm gonna be 60 i want to retire by the time i'm at least 60 or 61 that was my goal um i'll give it four to six years we'll see see how it goes and it went great um you know went through the cycle in moose jaw i'd signed a three-year contract we we made the playoffs we had success and then signed another three-year contract and you know it's a community-owned team they weren't going to sign me to another contract past that mm-hmm. I had made the most they'd ever paid a 
head coach yep. in Moose Jaw, um, and where the cycle was really dropping off. And as it turned out, it was the luckiest thing for me to get fired in January and COVID hit in March because I didn't have to deal with all that. Um, yep. You know, I, I went, went to Arizona for the next three winters. I didn't have to deal with the Moose Jaw and the, the, the whole thing. So, um, Great time there. Met some wonderful people. I had a great opportunity to run the team and 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 implement a culture that I believed in. And you know, we fell short. We had a great team. We won the Scotty Monroe Trophy, the regular season uh, championship, um, and just couldn't get past uh, Swift Current in the playoffs. They, mm-hmm. you know, we had had our team was a draft and develop team. Made a few changes, a few additions, but right at the deadline, these other teams, they added players to beat oh, yeah. us. Yeah. And uh, they did, they beat us, they beat us up and physically, and we just, we just couldn't get the job done. We had, a, we had a great team, but um, uh, it was fun. Um, you know, I had the opportunity. I coached the U18 world championships. I coached in three world juniors. I won a silver, a gold and a bronze for hockey Canada. Um, won the regular season title. I had as many wins in the six years I was in Moose Jaw. Well, the five and a half years I had in Moose Jaw as Kelly McCrimmon had in Brandon. And he's one yep. of the best coaches of all time in the WHL. So, you know, I, those kind of things are, are you know, I was a, uh, uh, had a winning atmosphere, a winning environment, a winning team, and uh, developed a lot of great young men um, from young boys coming in as 15, 16-year-old boys into that program and them leaving as 19- and 20-year-old men. And that's so rewarding. And then all the relationships I have with the guys like Point, Howden, Dryden Hunt, Tanner Janot, um, down the line, uh, it's it's fantastic. And that's the, the rewarding part. And, and I live in Mesa in a community with probably – 10 or 12 couples from Moose Jaw that I met when I coached there. So it's fun. We golf every Tuesday and Thursday. We have a group of, thir- group of 32 we golf with and it's, uh, and there's only about eight of us from Alberta and the rest are from Moose Jaw. You've used the term retired a couple of times. Is it capital R retired or small R retired? Well, I do say this, I would only ever work again if it was in the NHL. And, um, you know, okay. I have a, I have an agent and he, he throws my name around now and again, and and uh, but I'm not actively seeking a, a job. Um, you know, I I know, I know I have lots to offer. I still know I I could have an effect on on an NHL team. Um, I follow the game. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a big student of the game. I follow the Flames. Um, I know what makes a team win. Um, the game changes all the time, mm-hmm. and if you aren't up to the speed of the changes in the game, you're never going to be successful and you can't be. The worst thing to do is be a copycat because everyone else is doing the same thing. If you can be an innovator and a leader in in hockey, then, then you're um, everyone's chasing you. Uh, A couple more for you, Tim. Uh, I mentioned right off the bat that we would go back to the eighties. You were kind enough to join me on the uh, radio show when uh, Dave Semenko passed and we had a, uh, just a lovely conversation about him. How often do you sign that one picture of you and him looking at each other? Well, back 
probably when in the late mid nineties, kind of just around when I started to retire, it really like Jack Cookson from Pro-Am Sports in Edmonton bought the, the negative and the, the rights of those, all those photos from Bob Mummery, I believe, and uh, approached me with, with doing that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he'd bring a stack down to Calgary. I would sign a stack and, you know, they were either signed by Dave or my so- stack signed by Tim was going up and Dave was signing. And we, you know, we ran into each other along the way at some rinks when I was yep. coaching or, and he yep. was working for the Oilers as a pro yep. scout or when I was development coach for the Capitals when we didn't get uh, uh, renewed in 2001. Um, so I, you know, built a little bit of relationship with him and he used to laugh and he's a really, really funny guy. And he mm-hmm. is so loved by his teammates, Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier mm-hmm. and Kevin Lowe, all those guys, Glenn, they just loved Sammy. And, uh, so I think I told you this story at the time. It's a great, it's, a, it's kind of funny because that's that photo sold, he, Jack sold more of that photo of Dave and I, and we're not even fighting than any photo of Wayne Gretzky or Mark Messier or any of those guys for probably 15 years. Yeah. Um, it was the biggest selling sport photo in definitely Western Canada, if not all of Canada, that Battle of Alberta picture and every charity event you you saw them and um, it was fantastic. And it just kind of little, you know, everyone thought that Dave and I fought so many times. We only fought four times. I know that's the part yeah. that you blew my mind. Yeah. Blew my and, mind. Uh, you know, nobody really wanted to fight. Dave only fought about 60 times in his whole career. No one really wanted to fight him. He was so big and yeah. mean and, and he was mean, right? He was, like he was nasty. He was really yeah. dirty too. Like yeah. Dave, Dave kicked me. He he sucker punched me. He need me. He did everything. This was yeah. like no code there. But hey, Dave was doing his job, and um, that was you know that was the way it was. So you you better be prepared. Sometimes I mean you're fighting a guy. You can't can't say hey don't kick me or don't need me. You know like or. If you're not paying attention and he, and he pops you one and you're not ready for it, well, it's your own fault. But, you know, there was lots of, lots of, lots of times I was like, man, this, I could see why Dave doesn't fight much. Nobody wants, no one. No. And, you know, those guys got a little bit, uh, a little taller, a little braver, the Oilers, because they had him around. They had him and Marty in it. So at one time we we're signing an autograph. Jack asked me to come to Edmonton to sign those my side of the picture and he says i want you and sammy to sit beside each other and be able to personalize them to people at a card show and I, he says you know he said yeah i know why i send them all down and up he says let's just let's do it this way do you mind i said no no i said i think it'll be fun so we sat beside each other and be, we had a little break and i said to him i said who ever thought you and i were going to be business partners <laughs> i mean he he's, he thought it was great he goes yeah oh yeah Sammy and Timmy. <laughs> but, you know, you say about how popular that picture was. But that was the encapsulment of the Battle of Alberta, right? And it has been then used as the bar for all other rivalries. And, and, yeah. it, 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 that's, and that's almost impossible to reach. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's the game has changed so much um, in a lot of good ways. And, and in some ways, it's not as not as hard is not as physical, but, um, 
And I, but I think for the majority, it's, it's for the better. You know, yeah. those games still were, they were a track meet because Edmonton had one of the fastest teams and so did we, mm-hmm. you know, it, they were, they were exciting games like to, to be part of. And, you know, but everyone knew there was going to be, you know, there was going to be some, some uh, bloodshed somewhere along the line. There was going to be somebody, you know, something go on. And, and because it was just such a heated rivalry and, yeah. One team was better and the other team was trying to gain ground and eventually we would caught up and um, became as good. But, you know, our time kind of ran out is, is what really happened. And we didn't, didn't have the luck in a, in a, in some ways, but um, it was, it was fantastic, you know, like one referee. So it's a, you know, different era. Yeah. There's a great point. Yeah. You could get away with a lot more in those days. No war room, right? Yeah, no, you know, the cameras and different yeah. things that, you know, I'm not saying that, I mean, the biggest thing is, is it's like human nature. Um, people will do what they can manage to get away with, right? And hockey players are, are very smart when it comes to that. They, they push the limits until it's like, and it's, you know, yeah. in my position, it was always to try to ride that fence where I was playing really mean, tough hockey without going over and costing your team. And it took a while to finally to learn that, where you could ride that fence and be right on that cusp of totally being a pain in the ass the other team and doing your job and being effective without costing your own team. And that's an art. Yeah, and that's a great way of putting it. That is yeah. a really good way of putting it. Um, just a couple more for you. One uh, now as a newly inducted Hall of Fame uh, yeah, member, you have a, an interesting perspective. Uh, your thoughts on Mike Vernon having his name called by the Hockey Hall of Fame? Yeah, just an amazing career. And just we were talking about it the other day. I have a fr- we have some uh, mutual friend, and and um, you know Mike played uh, four or five years after I retired. And, and extended his career in Detroit and San Jose and, and the numbers for, and the size of Mike Vernon, I mean, the size of Mike Vernon compared to Patrick yep. Waugh. Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, I know some guys that grew up, Mike's a little younger than me, but grew up and played with Mike Vernon, Pee Wee, Tiny Mike Bantam, and he was unbelievable then. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he's not unlike... A little bit like the 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 wolf kid that here with the Wranglers and the Flames organization, you know, a smaller statue guy, but uh, like lights out stopping the puck and um, battlers. Pardon? Battlers. Yes, battlers. Right. That's exactly what Mike Vernon was. He, he he sprawling and and have such a mentor in Glenn Hall. Mm-hmm. And Glenn was every bit of a goalie like Mike Vernon is, or Mike was of Glenn Hall because Glenn was that hybrid style, stand up, butterfly, whatever it took to stop a puck Glenn would do and with no mask on yeah, and about the same size as Vernie. But yeah, just his numbers to two wins, two Stanley cups and uh, um, the wins, the goals against the save percentages. And, and um, you know, I would, I would, um, you know, just me individually, I would would have liked personally I'd like to see Mike go in with 
you know, instead of going with two other goalies to go in kind of as a goalie because yeah. they really neglected or gated to, to bring these guys in. And finally yeah. this year, there's three of them at one time. I would have liked to see Mike go in with the, uh, just a group and be one of the only goalies going. Cause I felt yeah. he was deserving of something like that. Uh, you know, Tom Barrasso is, is the vintage, same vintage mm-hmm. as, as Bernie, uh, very close. So, um, and every bit the same accolades uh, with yep. the Stanley cups. And uh, um, so, but it's great. It's great for, great for Vernie, great for the flames organization, you know, where we're slowly catching the Oilers with a number of hall of famers <laughs> uh, from the eighties. Um, I think we'll probably get another one someday soon. So um, I'd like to see Theo get in one day. Um, I think he's deserving of it, um, but we'll see. And then I have to ask you, because it's one of my favorite obscure um, little statistical notes, that the first Finnish-born goalie ever to win a game in the playoffs, Mika Kiprasov. But he didn't do it with Calgary. He did it with San Jose. He's going to be honored this year, I mean, for his work with the Flames, obviously. But you saw him as a young goalie, and you guys were deep with Nabokov and Toskala and and Kiprasov. But any any young Mika Kiprasov memories? Really competitive uh, guy, and and um, you know I was assistant coach in San Jose, and we had uh, we we went in right behind Daryl Sutter into San Jose. <laughs> Daryl got fired, and and we took the, took over for Daryl, and um, so we inherited that team, and they had held. They had Nabokov. He sat out with a contract dispute dispute early in the year, so Kiprasov and and. Um, Tosca were playing and then Nabokov came back by the time we, we got there. And so we had three goalies. So it was Warren Stroilo with the yeah. famous goalie coach. Yeah. He was fantastic. And Wayne Thomas as well, like just brilliant goalie coaches and just the, all the great goalies that, that uh, San Jose had had. And, and um, by that time now it's hard to manage to keep three guys happy because they're all <laughs> pretty darn good. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, obviously, in hindsight, sight, I think they let the wrong guy go, but you know that's hindsight. Mm-hmm. But Daryl being right in there and knowing the value and seeing him day to day in practice and watching Warren and Wayne work with him, he knew what he was getting and getting uh, uh, getting him here in Calgary. And uh, you know, I was you know, so I work with Warren and and Wayne to help satisfy the goalies with some shots from the forwards. Cause I was helping with the forwards. And so I had to get the young guys and do shots. And uh, Kipper was getting a little antsy and cause you know, out of my kind of knowledge, you know, I think they were, you know, going to move him and keep Toskala and, and Nabokov. And, and I think Kipper was getting unhappy and, you know, it was hard to manage in practice to keep a guy happy. And you hate to see, you know, kind of one guy sour and you have yep. a happy yep. group of players and you have harmony, but you have one guy that's not happy. And I think was they did the best thing and found him a job. And, you know, I, I it was disappointing to see years later that we had to compete against the Flames <laughs> with him in that because uh, we all knew he was very good. And uh, so seeing – seeing him as a young guy in, in San Jose and then see him develop here in Calgary. This is fantastic to see. And I'm, you know, he's a, he's a guy that's, you know, I'm, 
you know, you like to see guys win Stanley Cups because that kind of is a bit of a yeah. hallmark thing to get in the Hockey Hall of Fame. But uh, he sure has uh, some numbers and, and credit, uh, credibility to be a Hall of Famer in his career, Kiprasop. He's, uh, and just a super, super guy, just a great teammate, great guy. You see the, the love by his teammates mm-hmm. and, you know, the love by the guys in, in San Jose when he got uh, traded. Uh, you know, we had a we had a good team, and uh, uh, but it's it's and again another great thing for the Flames organization. This has been a lot of fun. I'd be remiss if I let you go without throwing these up here, and you mentioned it a couple times. But uh, boy, I was envious uh, last week on your Twitter account. You've been out fishing. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, the fly fishing, which <clears throat> I've dabbled in. I it's incredible. There's nothing like it. Um, and you're in the, you're in the Mecca now you're back home in the Mecca of fly fishing, really. Yeah. And, and, you know, I talked earlier about having lots of friends here. Um, my daughter and her boyfriend were here for the hall of fame induction and my other daughter as well. And she said, dad, would you be able to take us fly fishing? Um, while we're there. And I said, and I just happened to be at a stampede breakfast of an old friend and a, a young, another old friend was there. We were he, we're in grade one together. So Doug <laughs> Mackay, we're talking to fly fishing and we were going to, he says, we got to do a trip. Let's, let's get a trip and get some of our old buddies and we'll go out. And he said, I got some great spots south of town. We can go down to Fernie and, and the Elk River. Or we can go to the Livingston River or we could go on the Old Man River. He said, but I, I can put us on some great fish. And so I, I remember my daughter wanted to go. And so I said, I, I, said doug would you be willing to show me how to get into one of these rivers so we can spend the day and, and fish a little walk wade uh, you know yeah. it's going to be hot just want to be able to just toss the line in to be able to catch something and uh man doug put us on some fantastic western cutthroat oh. and it was it was the water was a little low but yeah. i i caught the fish that i have in my hand there is is was my daughter caught that she she got the reel wound up wrong and, and she had a hard time bringing it in. So I had to kind of uh, bring it in just by hand winding, hand uh, yep. stripping the line back yep. and brought that fish that you're showing there in. Um, I don't like to take them out of the water, but she really wanted a picture of it. And uh, uh, that was a monster cutthroat. And I had caught that fish and I couldn't get it in. And it popped it because the barbless hook, it kind of popped up, it out. popped it out. And I said, well, honey, you just stay and you hang out in that hole. That fish in a few minutes will be back on the line. And she got, <laughs> so I had to, I was down the streams. So I had to come up and net and everything for her. And then, and we landed it and, uh, but she caught that fish. So it was, it was pretty special. And that's the beauty of, of Alberta, you know, yeah. uh, it's fantastic. And there's some more spots we're going to hit and, and it's pretty cool. And actually we, we dropped into this, little parking area get out of our vehicles we're getting the rods and everything all set up and here this other truck pulls in we're going oh we got company thought we had this little spot ourselves and it's another guy i grew up with he lived like two streets from me him and a friend were there <laughs> fishing so it was like old home week and that has been the beauty of being oh, back in calgary and it's that's amazing you can't you can't beat that it's unbelievable uh thank you 
This was, I'm, I, I was so excited for you when you got the honor, but to spend some time with you and, and reflect on it, it's been a huge pleasure. And, and it gives me another opportunity, which is to personally thank you. Uh, you uh, were such a huge volunteer for superheroes last year and coming out and being with the kids and, and the parents and they love you and, and your dedication to that program was amazing. So I just want to thank you for that too. You're, you're, I, I to get to know you has been a, a real pleasure and, uh, just to be able to spend some time with you today has been a huge honor. So thank you, Tim. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Rob. You do the same. I mean, you pound the pavement, you do more work in the community than probably anybody. So you're a leader in that way. Well, you guys showed, no, that's just the flames way, right? Like that's what that, uh, if you're with the flames the, organization. That's what the that's expectation the, is. Yeah, well, that's the, the Calgary way. Cause Calgary's very, uh, uh, they give back all Calgary is doing. It's so wonderful to be in this community. Agreed. Thanks, Tim. All right, this. Rob, have a great day. Tim Hunter, everybody. Uh, 2023 Alberta Hockey Hall of Fame inductee. <sighs> For I don't know how we do, what do we do on Friday now. What, do we, what the hell do we do on Friday now? Two hours with Conroy. We just spent an hour and a half with another great one. Uh, this is amazing. By the way, Tim Hunter brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. Uh, 76 years in Calgary. 76 years in Calgary. And I know it's a bazillion degrees out today, but uh, the winter is coming. We, we can almost guarantee that. That means snowboarding and skiing. Skisellersnowboard.com. Um, so a couple things before we go with final mile here. Uh, let's do the, do we have the video? I, I got to show this. I don't know if you guys saw this. I heard, um, so I don't know if we can play the music. Can we, can we mute? <laughs> I'm not sure we have the rights to that. This is what the FIBA basketball, so, uh, FIBA basketball Women's Championships is being played on right now. It's a complete video screen. The floor is a video screen. Now, I go back a decade or so ago, and I was told that you could get video on turf, that there was technology uh, um, you know, a decade ago that you could put it a football field in and, and have it do this. But I finally saw this. Um, and, you know, I will bring it up with the surge and the CEBL, but I can't imagine the investment. But just think about the things you could do there. Ah, oh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, so, RJ, thanks for playing that. Um, also, our buddy from the Barn Burner, uh, Ryan's running a contest today. It, it runs at the end, till the end of the day. Uh, he's got two court side for this final home game of the regular season against the Edmonton Stingers on Wednesday for the surge, two t-shirts, two hats. He's looking for people to tag the person that they would take to the game. They're going to make the draw at the end of the day. I just, Ryan has been a huge supporter of the surge and he's out at almost every game. So I just wanted to make sure that we uh, give that a little bit of love too. So if you haven't been out to a surge game, here's a great way. So check out Ryan's uh, Twitter account. I'm sure it's on his other social, but this is where we stole it from. Uh, and make sure you, uh, you check that one out um, and get involved. Tag somebody in that. So you, you kids know what I'm saying. It's, it's now it's got a new name. It's not even Twitter anymore. It's X. So go to X and tag Ryan or somebody, you know what I'm saying. Um, want to call BS? Uh, want to call Royal BS? Uh, last Monday we had David Leg on, and David Leg was talking about uh, Commonwealth Games 2030. And lo and behold, uh, within hours of that interview, within an hour of that interview, news broke: one that um, 2026 uh, 
Commonwealth Games are now somewhat in trouble in Australia, that uh, the host committee had backed out. That is a political uh, nightmare in Australia. So I'll leave that one alone. I don't think that's the one I'm talking about. Where I'm calling BS is on the province. Uh, within an hour of us dropping the podcast, the province came out and said, hey, we're going to put in a new law that says, you know, if we're going to spend money on international games, it's got to go to a referendum. That's crap. That's crap. That's cowardice is what that is. Um, it is. The next day, the very next day, significant changes were made to our healthcare system. But nobody ever talks about, well, if we're going to make significant changes to the healthcare system, maybe we should put that to a referendum. No. No. The, the key about referendums are generally they get rid of problems that you don't want to face. You are an elected official, face it. But what you don't want to do is be an elected official and have to then say, well, we gave money to this or we gave money to that. Let me reiterate what I said last week. Look at Edmonton. Look at Commonwealth Stadium. Commonwealth Stadium built night for the 1978 games. It was a 44,000 plus. It's been expanded on that. It's been expanded, 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 expanded. It's where concerts go. It's where international soccer goes. It's where international track and field goes. Yes, the Elks are terrible and, and horrible and haven't won in two years. But as I said to our, 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 our friend David Legg, uh, last winter, December 10th, as a matter of fact, I'm driving in Edmonton at 10 o'clock at night and there in the middle of Commonwealth Stadium, is a snowboard jump, and they repurposed it. It's cowardice. Cowardice. Disingenuous. When governments say we're going to go to a referendum. Either you believe in the power of sport and the plans put in place will empower your, comp or your city, make your community better, give you facilities, that are a lasting legacy. Nope, we're going to put it to a referendum. Ask, listen, this is a, a shot at all of us. We are a society now that absolutely prefers self-gratification over greater good. I want to be happy. I want this. I need this. We need the facilities. We need the infrastructure. We need to have dreamers. I have no ax to grind against the individual that made the, the minister that made it. I have no ax to grind on individuals. I have an ax to grind on policy. This is a cowardice. When you single up and that, and then they took a victory lap. Like I was going to play that video and I'm, I'm like, no, you know what? There's some really good people in the sector, in the, in the youth sector factor out of this. They're getting money from the government out of this they're getting money from the government support that i support tourism you want to be transparent to alberta not you want to be transparent to there or the war room there's where's the trans there or the war room there's where's the trans we vote you in you make Simple way of killing it. Okay, let's end on a positive. Calgary Surge, we mentioned this before, the Calgary Surge have clinched a playoff spot in their inaugural year. Just trying to find out now. They'll play Edmonton on Wednesday at home at 8 o'clock. By the way, TSN. 
Uh, and then they're on the road to finish off the season in Sask- Saskatchewan, Saskatoon against the Rattlers. Uh, hoping to get a home playoff game. That's still to be determined. Um, I just want to tip my hat. And I sent this tweet out to the staff. And I'm biased. I worked there. i building out the community programming. But in 48 hours, we had two home wins. We had our first ever camp. And we were at the Center for Newcomers supporting a three-on-three youth basketball tournament. Who had a better 48 hours than us? It's the staff. It's the young people. It's the managers, Brittany and Dylan. There are some, I can go on and on about names. But I'm really, really proud of this organization. And I'm really, really proud when I see somebody at a surge game and they go, Rob, this is incredible. I have nothing to do with it. Please understand. Nothing to do with game operations. Nothing to do with the music, which I love. I've been trying to get this kind of music for years. Um, I love it. It's fun. It's all of that. Nothing to do with me. But I love it. So congratulations to everybody. Well, that'll do it. Oh, no, it won't. August 4th. Did I mention this? We're going to do a different show. Uh, we're going to do a completely, because this is not the same medium as I'm used to. I, I got flexibility in this medium, so I'm planning on taking it. August 4th, I'm putting together a volunteering show. We're going to bring in four, five, six different groups that need volunteers. Why? Because I get this question all the time. People tweet me. People ask me. People text. So the beauty about a podcast is I'm not interrupting anything. My show, my rules. So I'm going to bring four or five different groups in that need volunteers. And you're going to hear from them. They're going to state their case, and they're going to give you the information. If you've got a young person in your life, if you're a college or university student that's looking for something, if you're an older person that's looking for something, listen to that show. And what I'm going to do, RJ and and Jack don't know this, but I'm going to get them to break up all the interviews separately so that we can share them, so all the groups can share them. But the whole intent there is if you're looking to stay busy, if you're looking to give back, if you're looking for a unique opportunity, we're going to have five or six on uh, August 4th. So that's coming up. Thanks to RJ, who soloed this one today. He managed to land the plane. There was some buzzing. I don't know what that was about, but we'll get to that. Jack did it. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, RJ. You deserve okay. an opportunity. Yeah. What was it? Uh, we had, uh, he had the headphone mic, uh-huh. uh, Mr. Hunter, uh-huh. and it was uh, rubbing on his shirt. That's what it was? Yeah. Oh, so we're blaming the, we're blaming we're, the, we're, gonna we're blame blaming the guest. The guest. Uh, as the guy in charge oh, of the audio, I'm going to blame him out of studio guest. Unbelievable. All right. Thanks to RJ. Thanks to Jack. Thanks to you. We're back on Friday with God knows what. I ha- I don't know. I don't know. It's potpourri, perhaps. Uh, but make sure you tune in. Make sure you're watching uh, or watching and podcast podca- watching and downloading the podcast of Live from Fifty Five. Is it staging this week for Barnburner? What's What's Barnburner? Yeah, Matt Stagen. Matt Stagen, three parter with Matt Stagen on Barnburner. Um, and for some reason, Ryan Pike won't go home. So if you go to Flames Nation, there's new flames content there all the time i don't know how they do it i don't know why they do it but i don't know how they do it uh but here there is brand new content in the summer have a great day everybody thanks to tim hunter thanks to you talk soon tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts good news ad free listening is available on amazon music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your prime membership Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.